My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, you know, one of my jobs as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted. You know, whether that's at a funeral, an opportunity to serve people. I, was, I just flew down, I uh, was down yesterday in my hometown of Petaluma, California. I uh, did a, a memorial service for a dear friend of mine, a guy that mentored me. And th- there's nothing like being in that moment when you're walking with someone through pain, uh, walking through the struggles of life. We have, a, we have a lot of pain, a lot of struggles in life. Don't point to anybody near you. Uh, but there's a lot to cause us pain and struggles in life, right? And I, I really love that part of being a pastor. And yet sometimes my job isn't to comfort the afflicted. Sometimes my job is to afflict the comfortable. Um, and and, and, and I, it's a really good part of the job because sometimes we get complacent in our faith and our growth. Sometimes we end up in a scenario where um, we are crying out to God, and if I could just be honest, it's our own fault. Uh, there are some common situations that I run into, and, and again, I, I, I'm just going to be just deadly honest with you. I, I, I love, I love, I love people, but sometimes, man, we are knuckleheads, right? I mean, you know how Jesus looked at his disciples and said again and again, oh, you of little faith? In the Greek, it's, oh, you knuckleheads. It was just like, what is going on? We're like that. We are all like that. All, all of us, I, I, I sit here as your pastor and I'm like this too, we end up thinking that we can do our own thing our own way and yet then when it doesn't work, we can cry out to God and he'll bail us out. Now don't get me wrong, God wants us to cry out to him, okay? He really does in those moments of desperation. But a, a common, common scenario, uh, and I sound like an old guy now, I've been pastoring 30 years, but I, it's like I see this a number of times is that a person will call me or text me or, you know, drop a card in or whatever and want to get together. And, and as, as they tell me the struggles and issues, I, I, you know, again, in love, I kind of want to get out of baseball bat and go, what are you, are you stupid? You know what I mean? Did you not think this would happen? Again, sorry, this doesn't sound very compassionate, but it is ultimately. Ultimately, it's compassionate. Um, for example, um, let's say you're single and uh, you know the Bible has very specific commands Uh, principles about dating, Uh, things like only date a believer, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, when I was in high school, I took that to another level. I said I only wanted to date someone who's passionate about Jesus, which meant I didn't date in high school. And uh, that was okay. Man, I found a honey, that's for sure, And uh, because I waited. But um, we know what the Bible says about this and and talks about sexual purity. The Bible's pretty clear about all that. And yet, in our desire to draw close to someone, uh, we compromise what the Bible says or compromise our own actions uh, because we think somehow it will work out. 
Because somehow, I know this sounds so harsh, but somehow we think we're smarter than God. We'd never, ever, ever say that, but we live like that. Uh, or for example, um, and I'm going to talk from a guy because I counsel guys. I, I, t- I talk to men all the time that get married and they walk this journey and yet they spend more time with their work or with their hobbies, with their friends, and they neglect their spouse, they neglect their families. And then when things get really difficult, they cry out. Now, again, I'm trying to say this in love, but we all walk journeys where we think that what our heart wants is really going to somehow work out. And yet what God wants is our heart. And if we give God our heart, then he works it out a certain pathway. Because there's clear principles and commands of scripture. And when we honor God by obeying them, he blesses us. But too many times we want the blessings without the obedience. We're like that. Financially, for example, I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to who've crashed their life financially and they're sixty dollars to $100,000 in debt. And I go, well, how did you get there? Well, we just lived like everybody else. I go, well, have you gone to Dave Ramsey? Because if you live like, no, you know, anyway, sorry, if you've been there, you know what I'm going to say. Um, but, but the principles of scripture are you give, you, you're generous, you give money away, you tithe, you save money, you, you help people, you serve people, and then you live on what's left, right? But as, you know, good Americans, we live on more than what we take in. We live on 105, or 106%, whatever the averages are today. And we get into debt because everybody else is doing it. And we think somehow it's going to work out. And then we crash. Now, it, it, this is a classic scenario for me. A number of years ago, many, many, many years ago, uh, a guy called me, said, James, I'm struggling. Uh, my, wife, my wife wants me to leave and let's meet. So we met. And we sat down at Starbucks, uh, and I sat down and, and listened, and, and I, you know, I comfort, comforted the afflicted. And then I had to start afflicting the comfortable at that point. And I said, well, let's open the Bible. And that's my go-to. It's like, what does the Bible say? And I put some you know, scriptures in front, and what would the Bible, what would God's heart be for you in this situation? And it was, he was working too much, and he was hanging out with his buddies. He was going to strip clubs, which is... <laughs> pretty obvious, right, if you ask me, but somehow it wasn't obvious for him, and I said, let's knock off a few things, and let's start doing a few things, and so uh, I put a prescription together, let's meet every week, and I'll encourage you and, and hold you accountable, and he met, and we met for a couple weeks, and then I was there alone, and then I was there alone, and I finally stopped showing up, until about six, nine months later, he called me again, he said, hey, uh, my wife wants me to leave, and I, I, I need some help, and so I scratch my head, and it's like, okay. So I sit down and hear everything, and I comfort the afflicted, and then I start afflicting the comfortable as I turn it around and go, what, what, what did you do about what we talked about last week? Because this is not my words. These are God's words, okay? It's not my wisdom. This is God's wisdom, okay? And so we meet, and we start doing that and for a number of weeks, and you guessed it. It was about the third go-around when he called me, and I sat down, and I, I really just didn't have much comfort for the afflicted at that point. I just turned it around and I said, um, can I be honest with you? I said, let me just give you a picture. You boarded a train that was bound for a town called divorce. Just flat out, you boarded it. But you look up at your ticket every once in a while, you pull it out and you read that and you don't like that destination, which you shouldn't. And so you, you get off at the station and you ring me up on the phone and I come and meet with you and you make a commitment. But within a couple of weeks or a month, you get back on the same train. And you keep doing this again and again. And, and I, I will forever be there to meet with you. But do not 
be surprised because I will not be surprised when you call me up and you're getting a divorce because I don't care what your heart wants. Your obedience is what matters because if, if everybody wants a good thing in their heart. Every one of us wants a good thing in our heart. But God says what he desires is obedience and the sacrifice of obedience because that is what will bring change in our lives. Now, if you're mad at me and you don't like me, that's okay. You can come back next week. It'll be a different sermon. Um, it'll be on money, actually, so maybe wait a couple weeks. Um, <laughs> Solomon in Ecclesiastes touches on everything. Um, I do urge you to come back next week. It's good. But, um, but today's better. And, um, and, and I, I, I say it this way, and, and other people have said it. It's not new with me. But it's your direction. It's your direction not your desire that determines your destination. Um, if you want to see change in your life, get on a different train. As, as difficult as it is for us, that's why we exist, to lead you in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're all knuckleheads at some point in our life, and many times I get it. We all struggle because we believe things that are not true, and yet somehow we think our heart is going to work it out because we want our heart to want the right things. And God wants our hearts to want the right things, but he wants it because he's given us a direction to go. And he always, always, always honors obedience. Um, my wife and I tell our sons all the time, it always pays to do things God's way. Sometimes they say it always pays to do things mom's way, which is very similar to God's way <laughs> a lot of times. Um, but, but the fact is it always pays my friends, it always pays to do things God's way. When it means saying yes to things we don't want to say yes to, no to things we don't want to say no to, because he blesses the obedient heart. Now, along, along this journey, um, we somehow think that um, we can bargain with God. And I remember this. Before I came to Christ, um, I, would, I would be in my bed at night. <laughs> I, would, I would know what I did. Uh, nobody else knew at this point. And whether it was at school or I hadn't studied for a test or I had done some things that my mom and dad were going to find out about or whatever anyway, you know, a little 13, 14-year-old kid get, get, knows, knows he's going to get in trouble. And so what does he do? He prays, right? As long as there's a test, there's going to be prayer in school, right? That's what they say. Well, there was prayer in my bed a lot because I was blowing it. And I would cry out to God and I would bargain with God. Now, here's what I'd say. And it sounds really silly now, but I would say, God, if you fill in the blank, deliver me, basically. Help me pass the test I didn't study for, you know. Help my parents not to find out what I did, all that stuff. I will give you my life. Thinking that that was like a good deal, right? You know, I'm like, I'm going to give you my life. Have you seen my life, God? <laughs> You're going to win on this deal, God. You're going to come out better. And that's kind of foolish, but come on, we all do that, right? We all get in the point where it, we've reached the end of it. It's going to be exposed. We're, 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 everybody's just waiting, and we just cry out to God and go, God, if you show up, this is what I'll do for you. And I used to bargain with God. And I know that sounds really foolish, but come on, I want you to raise your hands. Not just as kids. Have any of you ever bargained with God like that? Isn't that ridiculous? I, it's like, it's kind of foolish when we think about it. It is, but that's what we do because we think that it's our heart and what we want to do with our hearts that's going to lead our life. But the problem is our hearts are desperately wicked, the Bible says, and we're deceived. 
And it's, it's what, God wants our heart, but it comes through obedience. Now, in our walk through Ecclesiastes, uh, it's just been good to see Solomon show up in different places. Like, he showed up in the courtroom. He showed up in the marketplace. He showed up in the graveyard. Uh, he showed up in the palace. And this week, he shows up in church, or actually the temple. But we'll bring it into modern day. And Solomon is a guy that would just, like, show up this morning at Sunrise Church. And he would be one of those secret shoppers just taking notes, you know. And he would just observe behavior. And maybe he's sitting next to you right now, you know, and he's just kind of watching how you sing or watching what you do during the sermon, whether you fall asleep or not, or are we paying attention or taking notes or, you know, checking Amazon or Facebook, you know, and, and uh, watching everything. And he makes notes. Solomon is an incredible observer because he blew up his life. And he, he writes at the end of it and says, okay, I don't want you to blow up your life, but I'm going to tell you what I've observed. And so he's pretty wise. And so Solomon is going to come into church, as it were. I know it's a temple, but let's modernize it to today. And he's going to ask questions about our heart. I know we say, but do we do? And that's really the challenge. So if you have your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to look at seven verses, but we're going to start by just kind of looking at the first three verses. And so this is what Solomon is going to walk into. He says, as you enter the house of God, he's talking about the temple. Okay, the place where God actually would dwell. Uh, but let's talk about church today. As you enter the church, all right? As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. That's good advice right there, right? Um, it is evil. Now, this is pretty serious. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Mindless offerings to God. We'll come back to that in a minute. Don't make rash promises. And don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all... God is in heaven, and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. Man, that's a memory verse. Too many words make you a fool. Memor that's not even hard to memorize right there. Too many words make you a fool. A fool in the eyes of mankind. But what Solomon's talking about is a fool in the eyes of God. That's some pretty serious words. Jesus says, don't use those words lightly. He did call people fools because they didn't, didn't think that uh, God was going to work his way out. They thought they could trick God, deceive God, go their own way. But a fool is a strong word. But Solomon uses it in a very correct way. He says, too many words make you a fool. Um, I love this. He says, keep your, uh, your ears open and your mouth shut. Um, and I think it was my grandma that first said, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. You know? Um, you should keep your ears open. You should be listening for God. Now, I would say all of life because God no longer dwells in a temple as in a place. He dwells in us. The Bible says we are the temple of God. So as followers of God dwells inside of us. So when you go into the presence of God, God's with us all the time, you should keep your ears open because God always speaks. And he's always speaking through his word, uh, through his spirit, through the body of Christ. Um, God is always speaking. So we should be quick to listen. And as James says, way at the end of the Bible, and slow to speak, right? It's a common theme of the Bible. We should keep our ears open, and we should keep our mouths shut. Now, he says it's evil to make mindless offerings to God, making rash promises, hasty matters, okay? Now, what's going on there? Well, his conclusion is this, is that not all worshipers of God are sincere. Not everybody that, uh, modernize it, that comes to church and sings songs 
and prays and gives him the offering, listens to messages, takes notes. Not all people who read the Bible, not all people who go to small group, not all people who call themselves a Christian have a fish bumper sticker, especially if a fish is eating Darwin. Then, you know, not all people who say they're Christians are, right? Not all people who say, I'm in, are really in. And, and those that are in, if we could say that, um, are really serious about it. Um, it's easy, and this is Solomon's words, to go to church and be a liar and a thief. Now, that's really harsh. It's really harsh. But this is what he's going to say to this text. It's easy to walk in and come into church, especially if you're like a typical American and comes to church two, maybe one or two times a month, when the pressure's on, when the need is there, maybe one or two times a year, right? And when things are going bad and you come in, right? And you come to church and we cry out to God. It's easy to have an emotional time with God, but yet not really be sincere. Too many worshipers were not taking God seriously enough and taking themselves too seriously. That's what Solomon is saying. Um, they, they came to the temple or they came to church. They sang their songs they did their worship. Now, in that day and age, they would offer a sacrifice. Thank you, God, that we don't have to do that anymore, right? Because there'd be a lot of blood on the floor. You would come in and you would bring your animal as an offering, something that cost you the best, the, the, the best that you had. And you would offer that animal as a, a covering for your own sins, an atonement, the Bible uses that word, to cover over your sin as a substitute for your sins. And that animal would be killed, the blood would be poured out, and that animal would be offered up on an altar of sacrifice. And a priest would then make an offering on your behalf. But in the process, you would come in and you would make vows to God. You would make promises to God. And you would say, God, if you receive this offering, then this is what I'm going to do. Now, that, that's really not different than what we do today, right? Except the animal part, right? Although we got a couple dogs. Okay, they're safe, okay? Um, but we do the same thing. In Malachi's day, he's, he writes at the end of the Old Testament, one of the prophets, he says uh, that you, you think you're fooling God, but you're not. You are offering what looks like the best on the outside, but is not the best. He says, you bring blind sheep. Now, they look great, but they're blind, and you know that, but the priest doesn't know that. And so, hey, you're going to offer something that you can't get much on, and you're going to say, hey, this is my best, right? And you, you do it so you look good. A lame sheep, sheep that aren't able to walk. And you offer them as a sacrifice, saying, this is my best, God. Malachi goes, try offering that to your governor. See if your governor takes it, right? Your governor would never take that. But you somehow think God will take that? These are strong words. Malachi says, quit offering lame and blind sheep to God. He's not impressed. Solomon says, quit coming to church and offering your heart out to God when you really truly have no intention of doing something about it. It's really strong. He says, if you do that, you're a liar and you're a thief. Why are you a liar? Because obviously you're a liar because you're using your mouth to say things that you're not actually going to do. But you're a thief because God deserves and demands are very best. And when you say, I'm offering myself to you, God, but you have no intention of really coming through, you're stealing from God because you give your life to God, but then you take it back, right? Okay, strong words. Um, you would do and you would make your vows. Okay, now, so he goes on and says this. He says, when, however, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. 
That's a good one. Keep all your promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it, right? That, that's, that's something that works out in our lives in so many ways. Yeah, I'll show up. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll commit myself. I, I will do that. And then we really don't. Maybe we have an intention, but we don't do it. Maybe we have no intention. In it. And we've gotten so used to just saying the words, thinking that the words are going to be enough. Now, if you've lived with someone like that, family member, friend for many years, you know that that gets old quickly. And words that are empty are foolish words. And they're words that offer promises, but they don't deliver, right? He says it is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. Oh my goodness, that's a verse right there, friends. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise she made was a mistake. So he's talking about two issues. One is you go and make a vow and you don't fulfill it. And the other is you make a vow and you never intended to fulfill it, right? So these are two levels here. I, I, in my best moment, I come in and I pray to God and I promise God my life, God, I'll give you my life. You, you're gonna, you are going to be so good on this deal, right? You, you're going to have my life. Um, and that's one, because you don't fulfill the vow. But sometimes people come in and they actually think they can fool God and they have no intention of fulfilling the vow that they make. And then they come back and go, well, I didn't really mean it, or, well, you know, I, 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 it was a mistake. That would make God angry, and he might wipe out everything you've achieved. That's, that's pretty harsh. And I'm glad this is like in the Old Testament when there's a bunch of laws, and, and you know, and today we have a lot more grace. Okay, it's not opposing this, but this is true even in our lives because practically, I will tell you this is how it works out. That when we try to fool God, God's not fooled. And if we decide to live our life apart from God, even as a Christian, whatever that means, right, um, the, we will always reap what we sow. It's a principle. It's a, it's a Bible principle. It's a farming principle. It's just a life. It's a financial principle. It's a relational principle. It's a life principle. We will always reap what we sow. Solomon acknowledges that sometimes we want to bargain with God. And um, in, in Solomon's time, pagan times, even today in, in Hillsboro, Washington County, uh, people keep shrines. They keep idols. And in his day, you would go uh, find an idol or a god that represented something you want. Like it could be power, and there would be a god of power, or money, there'd be a god of money. Uh, there'd be a god of sex as far as procreation. You want children, or you want your crops to grow. And so you would go get your idol, and you would put the idol in your home, and you would bow down before your idol, and you would worship that god. And what you were saying is, by bowing down before you, I make a deal with you, and then you're going to get me what I want, okay? Because that's how we treat God, as if God's a puppet, or God's a, a little idol we put in our pocket, right? Even Christians do this in America today. We treat God as if he's some, something we can manipulate and use to our advantage. And the Bible says it's an outrage to God, because God is up in heaven, and we are down here on earth. <laughs> Let our words be few. Don't make promises to try to manipulate God. Sometimes we do this, we get in trouble, so we go, I'm going to read my Bible this year. I think reading your Bible in a year is an awesome thing to do, but not if you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I'd rather you not read the Bible. Misquote me on that one, please, on Facebook. Just pull that out of context, okay? Um, I'm going to pray, 
I'd rather you not pray than make empty prayers, right? That's what God is saying. I'm going to give. I'd rather you not give if you're not really giving for the right reasons. Uh, Don't pray thinking you can fool God. Uh, Solomon says that if you do this, there's nothing more than this. And this is the end. He says, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, my friends. Talk is cheap. As a follower of Christ, as a Christian, as a church attender, talk is cheap. Saying the words without the intention of doing them or saying the words with a heart meaning to do them but track record, you're not going to do them, that's talk. Talk is cheap. Like daydreams and other useless activities. Sometimes we live in a dream world. And that dream world is God when I, dot, dot, dot. I, I used to do this as a college student. When I go out and get a job, then I'll give to you. When I get married, then I will. When I become a pastor, then I will. And we, we all do this, right? We all have a, one day it's going to happen, God, because my heart really wants to do that. But you know my situation right now. You know my workload. You know, my, you know all this stuff. So certainly, God, you have mercy and compassion on me because you know it just isn't possible right now. Talk is cheap. Like daydreams and other useless activities, fear God instead. It's so easy to say the religious words and never intend to back them up. Behavior, though, and this is really good for us as Christians, this kind of behavior actually fools us into thinking that we will change when all we're doing is mouthing words. We could easily come into church and we could go through the motions and we could feel the feelings of bad behavior being forgiven and walk out. I was talking to some friends about this the other night. Um, we're, We're Protestants. We're not Catholics. We protested the Catholic Church, and so we're Protestants. And yet, we're, we're, we're so much like Catholics um, in the sense that we carry a bucket around. I'm not dismissing Catholics at all, but it's part of the... You live in guilt if you're a Catholic. It's just, it just goes along with the territory, right? And um, you live in guilt because you carry around a bucket, and, and you put all your sins in it. And, and that bucket gets so heavy, you end up going to the priest and the confessional booth, and you dump that all out. And you go home and say some Our Fathers and Hail Marys and whatever, okay? You go through the ritual and you dump it out. And here's the thing. You feel good because you feel bad, all right? This is really good. You feel good because you feel bad. And when you dump all that bad out, you feel even better. But then you carry the bucket home and you just start filling it again, right? I mean, we all do this. You'd be lying. You'd be filling more of your bucket if you didn't agree you had a bucket, right? Okay, if you don't think you have a bucket, you're deceived, okay? And we do this so much. And here it is, we rob God of the respect and worship that comes from obedience. And my friends, we rob ourselves of the blessings that come from obedience. Far too many times, we love the good feelings that come with confession. But we don't love the hard works, work that comes from transformation. I'm gonna say it again. We as Christians go to church and we pour it all out and we love the good feeling that comes with feeling bad and confessing everything. But we don't love the hard work that is a result of obedience. Solomon warns us here to be careful with our words and our attitudes when we come to God. 
And really, um, if we go into the New Testament, it's not really our words, it's our heart. Because Jesus goes deeper than Solomon on this one. And he says it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Um, Offerings in our hands, without obedience of faith in our heart, becomes a sacrifice of fools, is what Solomon says. Because only a fool thinks he or she can deceive God. Now, um, Jesus said this. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Okay, Jesus says this a couple times with a couple different messages. He says, you will know the root by looking at the fruit, okay? You will know the root by looking at the fruit. When I walk out at my place, not now, everything's kind of looks dead. It's dead of winter. But this spring, when I go out, this summer when I go out to our fruit trees, I will go up to our Asian pear tree and I will see mixed within Asian pears, oranges, right? No. I will see Asian pears. Why? Because it's an Asian pear tree. Right now, I couldn't tell. Right now, I have a dozen trees. I don't know one from the other. Thankfully, my wife cares. I don't care. I just want to eat the fruit, okay? Um, That's that's my deal. I bought the land. She cares for it. No. (laughs) She's not in this service, by the way, so I can say that. She's at the eleven. I don't have to wonder about what kind of tree it is because I just go up and I say, oh, this is an Asian pear. Oh, oh, this is a plum. Oh, these are cherries. Oh, these are apples. That's all I have to do. That's all I have to do. We bought a new tree, a plant, and, and it's, it's going to be one day bearing peaches. But right now I can't tell. And uh, yet in a couple years, if all of a sudden... Um, bananas come from it, which it wouldn't, or I said, hey, it's not that kind of tree, I'd be shocked, and I'd call the company, I'd go, I think you slipped me the wrong tree, right? See, the thing is that Jesus is saying that what is in your heart is really going to come out with your life, your words, and your words are the fruit of your life, what you say, and what you say, my friends, matters, not because it's what you say, because of where it comes from. Everything flows from the heart. Jesus says that what is in the heart comes out. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the, the inspection should be of the heart. All change should be from the heart because it's the only change that's going to really bring the right fruit. And if a tree doesn't produce good fruit or any fruit, you can tell that something's damaged in the root, right? It's not getting the proper nutrition, Maybe a a pest has come in. Maybe there's a disease inside. And although you can't see it on the outside, because the outside still looks good, you can see the inside by seeing what's hanging on the branches. In the same way, the heart, my friends, is the wellspring that nourishes all of our words and all of our actions. We speak and we act the way we do because of what's in our hearts. And Solomon cries out to you and me. And he says, let's get the heart right. Forget coming to church and saying the words, thinking you're going to obey them, if you don't. 
especially if you have no intention of obeying them. Don't be a fool with your mouth. Now, how can we work on our heart? I, I got a couple thoughts here that I, I just wrote down. How do we keep our hearts clean? Because what Solomon is talking about later is developed by Jesus because it's all from the heart. And he, and he says these three things. Number one, that there is a connection between the root and the fruit. This is what Jesus is alluding to here. There's a connection, okay? Other people do not determine our behavior. They just reveal our heart. Years ago, years and years and years ago, I had someone say to me, I was a teenager, brand new follower of Christ, and they said, that person makes me so mad. And I thought about that for a second, and I said, not, not in any kind of arrogance, I said, that person can't make you mad. Only you can make yourself mad. You don't have to respond that way. You don't have to play that game. That person can't make you mad. You are the one that's responsible for your actions and behavior, right? So other people don't determine our behavior. I know we, we would love to throw them under the bus on that one, right? Well, it was the woman that you gave me, God. That's Adam. And Eve's like, it was the serpent, you know? It's like, we, it was the dog, you know? It was the cat, you know? It was the children, right? It's always the children, you know? Other people do not determine your behavior. They just reveal our heart. They just expose our heart. It's harsh. It's really harsh. But there's a connection between the root and the fruit. So number two, take a look at this. Lasting change takes place through the pathway of the heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Get the heart right and the words will be right. Fruit change is the result of root change. And as a pastor, I'll tell you this. As a counselor, I'll tell you this. The only lasting change, the only behavior change is if our heart is changed. And the third thing is this. The heart is the target for personal growth and lasting change. Let God work on your heart and then your words, your choices, and your actions will follow. And so that's really what Solomon is getting at, which Jesus later develops, which is this really the point of this. The point of this building is not to gather people together, to sing songs, listen to sermons, pray, receive an offering, make a bunch of commitments to God. If that's all we're about, we should close up shop and sell the building. I'm sure we could use more stores, right? We could use more apartments in this town. But if this building is a place where you and I come to, to once again gather, once a week, to remind ourselves, to encourage one another, to sharpen each other, to challenge each other, so that during the week we do live out the commitments we make in this room, then that's, I'm all for that. But I am not for pastoring a church. I'm not for being a follower of Christ that just comes in and feels good because I feel bad and I dump it all out. The only change that's gonna change this city is the change that happens in your heart today. Today, my friends. Your heart, not the person sitting next to you. I know they have a horrible heart. I, you could probably tell me stories, all right? I get it, I get it. And if you're sitting alone, sorry. All right, you have no one to blame but yourself. <laughs> the fact is, what this city needs, what your workplace needs, what your family needs, what your community needs, what your neighbors need, what your gym needs, whatever need, they need your heart to change because that's the root and then the fruit will change and they will look at you and they will see the hope and light jesus himself said what let your light shine let your light shine don't be salt that's worthless don't be a light that's covered let your light shine before all people so they could see your good works and glorify your father in heaven that's what people need but it's only going to come when your heart has changed 
We have a great opportunity to do that. Um, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's not something we often participate in, but it's going to be a beautiful opportunity to make some heart changes and commitments. Ash Wednesday is when we begin to prepare our heart for Easter. Uh, and so that season is called Lent. And so this Wednesday night, we're going to gather, we're going to come together, and we're going to deal with, let me be honest, the evil that's lurking in our hearts because it's in all of our hearts. All of us have areas that we are holding back from God, keeping, thinking we're fooling God. But let's not become a fool because of that. Let's become a wise person who gives their life. From the inside out is where God wants to see change. He wants our hearts to change so that our lives will change, so that our families will change, so that our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools will change. Because that's what this world needs to see. Because I imagine a place that's different. But it's not going to be different if you're not different, if I'm not different. Let's not think of some little God we create that we can fool and manipulate. That makes God angry. But let's bow before this awesome holy God and commit true commitment to him. Let's pray. Father, Jesus is the one who said out of the mouth, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And our mouths and the fruit that comes out of that are actions, the result of what's really inside. God, convict us, man, convict us of empty, false promises or of promises that come from a sincere heart, but we really have no desire to change. God, you said judgment begins in the house of God. May it begin in our hearts today. You love us so much. You see us as we are. Father, and yet you, you, you just care deeply for us and you want change and you know that change comes from obedience. But Father, we can't obey you on our own. We do not have the power to obey you. Our, our flesh desires something else. Our sinful nature wants something else. But you have promised through Jesus Christ we can have forgiveness of sins. We can have a brand new life, a brand new heart. We can enter into a new experience with you. Your spirit would take up residence in our hearts and we would be your temple and we would live for you, Father, shining the light of Jesus Christ. But we can't do that on our own. And I pray today, whether we're a believer that's been fooling themselves or a non-believer who has never made a commitment to you, that we would come to you and bow before you. And in this song that we sing, from the inside out, we would give you our hearts and we would once again make a commitment, not an empty promise, but a true commitment to you. And in doing so, we would give not an offering of money, but an offering of our very lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen.